looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. If you knew you had only one more week to live. Now I hope that we're at a point in our walk with our relationship with God. Now this is important. That we really wouldn't change anything. Because every day we've learned to live in the instantaneous belief that at any moment we could die. And so every day we have all of our accounts, so to speak, in order with other people, with God. So that should he call us home, it's no big deal for us. It's not like, oh no, not yet, Lord. We're ready any time that he could call us. And maybe today the Holy Spirit will take this message and bring us all to that point that we don't have to do a lot to prepare. Well, prior to that last week, you'll notice in your notes that I've kind of given you a little bit of a history of what went on with Jesus. And to you it might be, oh, he went here, he went there, he saw these people, and boom, boom, boom. I think there's a little bit more in this, a little bit more what we'll call pathos, a little bit more emotion in this. If you look very carefully, you're going to see that he went back to where he was baptized, the Jordan River. Now, I thought about that. He was already there. Why did he need to go back? He went there and met with his disciples. But I'm wondering, and this is just sanctified imagination, so I'm not giving more into Scripture. He did do all of that. But I'm wondering if maybe he went back there because he started his ministry there, but very shortly he knew he was going to end his earthly ministry, so he wanted to go back where he began and maybe just reminisce a little bit. I wonder if some of you could go back in your mind to think about the time that you trusted Christ as Savior, or since then you've dedicated your life to the Lord. Where was it? Was it at a camp? Was it at a retreat? Was it at a conference? Was it here? And maybe there's a time for you to go back like Jesus did. And just have that moment to reflect and maybe to refocus and recharge. Now, I don't believe Jesus had to do that, although humanly he might because there's a human nature of being tired, but spiritually he didn't. You and me, we need to do it physically and we need to do it spiritually. Is there time to recharge our batteries again? Something you might find a little interesting. I graduated from a college called Florida Bible College. In its heyday, it was the largest independent Bible college in America that was not supported by government. We took no government funding. There was no scholarships. There was no loans, nothing like that. We just went to school, did the best we could to eke out our education. We came out with a stellar education. Unfortunately, the president of the school had a moral failure. And then uh, through a series of about a decade or more, the school just disintegrated and it became no more. What's interesting is that the Alumni Association was so strong and so large and so committed, primarily because of the education and the... And the um, knowing of the one another principles with each other. We hung together all over the world. And so recently the alumni said, we've got to launch that school again. We've got to relaunch it. It was sound in doctrine. It was evangelistic. It was separated in the proper way of grace. We need to get it going. So they've asked about nine of us guys if we would come together and relaunch the school. And here's one thing that I'm keeping in the back of my mind when we try to relaunch it. And I'm not leaving you all here. It's in the mainland. They just want my, my input. That's all. So let me go back to this. I'm wondering, and I want to caution our graduates, that we don't try to live in those glory days of yesteryear. It's good to go back and to remember those things. You know, like Scripture says, remember these things and remember those things. But we can't live like that. But it is good to go back. It's good to remember the people who have invested into your life, the people who sacrificed to get you to where you are today, and say, thank you, Lord, for them. 
And maybe that's what Jesus did. But he didn't just stay there. Some people, they just want to live in those thrilling days of yesteryear. Jesus went then to Lazarus. Now, in your notes, it said heal. And that's kind of a real soft word, heal. It really should be he resurrected him from the dead healing, okay? That's what I call a real healing. That's more than just aspirin and a glass of water, right? He healed Lazarus. But he did it around his best friends. And again, getting ready for that passion week that he's going to be heading into. How important it is to be around friends, but it didn't stop there. He also went back into the desert. Remember, he was in Bethany, two miles away from Jerusalem. Then he went up here to a place called Ephraim, which is on the edge of the wilderness, like desert area. He went up there. Now, what did he do when he was up there? Obviously, to get away from this crowd, but more to be with his disciples. And maybe for us, if we knew the last week of our life, we might want to gather together with the next generation leaders women with women and men with men and couples with couples knowing we have one more week and what can we pour into their life the last things we would say it's not going to be how about those coupons over there at times it's not going to be about that how about them bows you know we're not going to be talking about our rainbow warriors we're going to be talking about the things that'll hopefully be so indoctrinated into these people that they would be as strong or stronger than we are. And so he did that in a non-distracted environment like the Ephraim Desert up there. But that wasn't enough because he just didn't hang in the desert. He also wanted to perhaps say goodbye to his friends. Again, his best friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. We know that from our past study recently. So he went back there to be with them. But he knew too that he's leaving the desert. He's going back to Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem. Because once he hits Jerusalem, he's got about a week left. And then he'll be crucified. And so he's with his friends. And so I'm going to move it a little bit away from the friends application and maybe ask you this. If you had one more week to live, maybe sometimes we do hang with our old, quote, drinking buddies from way back. I pray that's not the case. I pray that if we had one more week, we would live it with our deepest of friends and our family, the ones we want to influence the very most for his glory. And if you had one week with your family, dads with sons and mothers with daughters and moms and dads with your kids, and if they're grown kids, your in-laws and grandkids, what would you want to model or mentor them in that last week? There'd be so much. And so Jesus was kind of... um, I, I have a message to senior saints. It's called closing up shop well. And so he kind of closed up shop well for his watch, earthly ministry. He didn't stop ministry, and he just changed forms in the Holy Spirit and continued when he was gone. So... To do all of that, we have to look at four characters, four groups, and check out motivation. And then to launch into that, what would be your motivation to have a relationship with the Lord so you then could end well in your life, and I could too. So let's begin to look at that. Let's uh, open up our Bibles now, shall we? It's so good to have a Bible in front of us to look at here, read together. Let me read to you verse 1. It says, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That's kind of important. We could have just said Lazarus there, but in this context, he keeps reminding about raising Lazarus from the dead. You'll see why in a little bit. So we move to the next area. Now we're going to look at our first motivation, and that would be devotion was the spiritual motivation for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So I want you to put down the word devotion. You could write the word worship down. That'll work too, but I like the word devotion. So let's see what happens here now. So Jesus raised him from the dead. So now he's moving back from Ephraim to Bethany. And so where does he go? Verse 2. So they, and I believe that they, would be Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But listen carefully, folks. Listen. I'm going to go off on a little tangent right here. This event 
is not just mentioned one time in the Gospels. It is mentioned in Mark chapter 14. It is mentioned in Matthew chapter 26. I would encourage you this afternoon to read these three passages. Matthew, Mark, and John. And when you do it, it's like having a surround system, surround sound system at your house. They're all going to agree, but there'll be a little nuance to add more color, more sound, more bass, more treble, so you can really feel like you're there. Now, let me warn you. There's also another story about a woman who did something very similarly in the Gospels. But it wasn't Mary, not part of the story. Still really did happen. But I don't want you to get that mixed up with this. So I want you to focus on Mark 14, Matthew 26, John 12, and get the surround sound. And where did they go? They didn't go to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. They went to Simon the leper's house. Now, I think Simon the leper was past tense. Simon, not the leopard. Not funny. But he was a leper because I think Jesus healed him. But again, he's forever known as Simon the leper. But it was Mary and Martha and Lazarus that kind of brought him over there to make a special meal in his honor. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus. I'll stop there. What I wanted you to see here is there are three different people. In my personal opinion, I believe this passage clearly teaches that those three people, different personalities, yes, different sexes, all three of them were displaying a sense of devotion toward the Lord. You might say, no, 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 it says right here, Mary, and look what Mary did. If you read in Matthew and Mark, it says that that's so important, you ought to say it every time the gospel is presented, and it doesn't say anything about the others. Yes, what Mary did is important, and I will unpack that in a moment. But Jesus did not rebuke in this context, nor in any of the other contexts, that Martha did something wrong when she was serving. What she was rebuked for was that she was criticizing Mary for how Mary served, and that's what brought the rebuke to Martha. So, here's my point. Some of you are going to serve the Lord in your devotion. Your motivation to really devote yourself to the Lord is going to be a lot of task orientation. Everywhere you find Martha, she is busy, 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 because she is driven by, I love the Lord. I want His needs to be met. I want to make sure there's nothing missing. Everything has got to be done right, and so I need help to get this done. Can any of you identify with a person like that? I know I can. All right. I see why. All right? So who am I to criticize her for worshiping the Lord her way? All right. So some people will do that. And maybe some of you are just like that. Well, let's move to the next person. We see Lazarus here. Now, Lazarus looks like he's kind of a lazy bum. He's not cooking. He's not cutting up the the, the onions. He's not getting anything ready. All he's doing is laying at the feet of Jesus in a reclined fashion. Now, if you lived in those days, and I think in some of the uh, far area countryside of the Middle East, when they would eat, they would eat on this large pallet, maybe a table, piece of wood, a planker there. The food would be down, but the men would lay down and kind of in front of the table, kind of shoveling the food in this way. And keep that in mind because I'm going to bring more of that out. So there's Lazarus. Now, why would I say that he's also worshiping the Lord? You know why? Because Mary, she's off getting some perfume and Martha's off serving. They weren't even there with Jesus. Left them all alone to sit there. But not Lazarus. He says, oh, I love him so much. I want to be there with him. And so he laid there, along with others, and I believe other men, because usually the women we eat separately, different times. The men want in a special invited dinner like this. It's mostly a masculine context. So he's there, and he says here, fellowshipping or talking with Jesus, discussing with Jesus. Now, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear what they were talking about? I can only imagine saying, Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. You raised me from the dead. 
I can only imagine that. I don't imagine Jesus saying, hey, how was it there in that tomb? Although physically he never experienced that, Jesus knows all things. But whatever they talked about, I believe they were in beautiful harmony of conversation with one another. There's no rebuke for that. He just lied there. And so let me bring this out to some of you. Some of you find it hard as a task-oriented person in the kitchen to serve in the nursery. And, and you might be the one that you love to pray. So you'll be the first one at every prayer meeting. You'll be typing up prayer requests to everybody to get them to pray. You'll be the first one to pray yourself. You want people to talk to the Lord and maybe read their Bibles to listen to the Lord. So you're all in the Bible study and prayers while everybody else is in the nursery and working in the kitchen. And that's where you are and that's your worship. Am I rebuking you for that? Nope. That's your style of worship. Need you as well. But then we have the other lady in here, and this is, uh, this is Mary. Now, she gets talked about a lot. We've already mentioned how many Marys there are in the Bible. This is Mary of Bethany. We'll call her that for now. And she worshiped the Lord by extravagant giving. And so let me unpack that a little bit, and then I'll bring a balance here for you. Go back to the passage again. So he's reclining at the table with Jesus in verse 3. says, And Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard. All right, pound is... They translated a pound here, but if you're going to go to the actual measurements, in the Roman measurements, it would be approximately 12 ounces. I wanted to do this. I wanted to put up here on the, the pulpit a, a 12-ounce bottle of Coke. But it was hard for me to convince you that that 12-ounce bottle of Coke was worth a year's wages. Okay. If you're so thirsty, you'd probably pay that much to get anything like that to drink. But that's about a 12 ounce. So think of yourself with a 12 ounce soda here in front of you, or a 12 ounce can, something like about 12 ounces. Now, this nard actually came from a very unique herb that was found in the Himalaya Mountains near Tibet in India. And it was very hard to, 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 to capture, to get, to make. And then think about it. Today, you'd throw it on a plane and it'd fly down, and bingo, it's already there in Jerusalem at some little boutique. But in those days, think about Jerusalem and how far it was from North India and Tibet and that area. And then how they had to though, get it in those days and then reduce it to a perfumic oil. And then to bring it all the way to Jerusalem. And then think about a day's wage. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how much do you bring in a year from your employment? How much is it? You know, is it 50000 40000 60000 100000 Throw in all the benefits, too. Put all that in there. I want you to think that whatever this little perfumey thing is, it costs you a whole year. Now, to do that, that means you have to find other ways to pay for your food, your travel, your lodging, your, your toga, or whatever else you'd be wearing then. Think about all of that because you have this year's amount of perfume. Quality, high-quality perfume. Now, she has that. Let's go back to the passage. It's very costly. It didn't just say perfume. It didn't just say costly. It said very costly, a pure nard. And she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Well, again, we need to dip into Matthew and Mark and John to get our stereo thing going here, our surround sound going here. So let me kind of tell you a little bit about what was going on when she's doing all of this. And Kind of go with me in your mind's eye. Somewhere along the line as she was doing this, she had to acquire this ointment. Now, I, I don't know how she did it. I don't know if someone gave it to her. I don't know if she found it or got it at a garage sale. I don't know how she got it. She got it. It's possible that she got little bits here, little bit there, and she kind of kept pouring it into this, pouring this in this alabaster box, it says. However she got it, it was worth a year's wages. She collected it. So to do this, there was a preparation. I have to have this, I have to keep it, 
and it's here. Now, don't be so smug, folks. I think we do the same thing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you acquire little trinkets of jewelry? And if you really were humble enough, you looked at your jewelry box, ladies, and you say, I'll never wear all this jewelry. I forgot I even had that. I see some smiles out there. And you men the same way. You go out in the, the shed or your carport and you look at some of the tools you have and you think, I didn't realize I had 15 screwdrivers. I didn't realize, look at that. And that's just a little bit of stuff. So it's not hard to begin to accumulate all of this stuff that you have. Now maybe she did this because she knew it was a year's worth of wages and she was saving it for a rainy day, saving it when she was too old and couldn't get things and saving it for when she got married. I don't know. It doesn't say she saved it for Jesus. She just had us. Now, was it on a shelf, in a drawer, on the floor? I don't know. Don't care. All I know is she had this stuff and she was making preparations with it to acquire it, to do something with it. But it doesn't just end there. It goes a little bit further in our story. She also now brings it to the table. So how did it go from her house to where Jesus was? She had to then bring it there. Now, when you see her bringing it, I want you to understand what was going on in her mind. She knows it's mostly men. She knows that it's kind of a cultural faux pas, uh-uh, probably not, go with all these guys. She this doesn't think about that. She sees Jesus, the one that she loves so dearly. She now goes and thinks about what is the, the most expensive, valuable thing that I have that I'm going to get rid of. I'm not going to have it any longer, quote, sacrifice. And now she gets it and she takes it now to this table. Now, I think this takes a lot of fortitude, not just to go where the men were. I think along the way... Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. I don't know what the temptations were. But I think if she's a normal person, while she was still motivated by devotion, she had to deal with those little inner demons, I'll call it, to make some of those decisions. We've all been there. We know what that's like. And she did that. But I call that an intentional decision. Somewhere along the line, she finally said, I'm going to do this. I don't believe it was just written by, driven by emotion. But you'll notice in another passage of Scripture, it talked about she took this jar, this alabaster jar thing, and she broke it. Now, and then she poured it on it. We all know that. Now, I don't know if she just took it and went, and there's, you know, pottery and oil all over Jesus. I think it's more like you have something that is so sealed, watch this, so that when this alabaster vial, as it's called, when it tipped over, none of that valuable perfume would spill out. So somehow it was so sealed that to do it, she had to quote, here's a phrase, break it open. How many of you, and I don't want you to raise your hand, but you saved maybe uh, champagne and you broke open a bottle? Or you had something very special, so we're going to break out the special dishes. That doesn't mean you broke the dishes. It means you broke it out. You got it out. You got it so that you can use it. And so she did that. I think in addition to all of this, that tells me that there was a a complete sacrifice because once it was opened up and she now gets rid of it, it's like it's gone. How many of you ever spilled something that was pretty valuable but you couldn't get it all back into the bottle again? Would you raise your hand? I know that's happened. Oh, I wish I could. Oh, no, it hit the floor. Now I really can't use this. And the dog comes and you're watching him lick that valuable food up right in front of you. All right, and then clean him up afterwards. But it went a little bit further. It said here that she poured it on him. Go back to the passage. Very costly. Poured it all over him. Put it on his feet. Said wiped it on his feet with her hair, but poured it on his feet. Other scriptures said poured it on his head. Another one said poured it on his feet. And I think this was kind of like, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. We got a conflict in the Bible. Here it says poured it on his head. Another passage says she poured it on his feet. 
And then you go back and Jesus says, watch this, she poured it on my body. Now here's what I think. Think of a 12-ounce bottle of soda filled now with this special ointment. She now, probably, my opinion now, probably started at his head and worked it all the way back to his feet. Now, why would I think that? This is Ponzism, my opinion, because I can't, I can't guarantee this is all why she did it. We know that in the Bible that when someone was anointed for kingship or royalty, they would pour the oil on their head. And you remember how David, the oil would drip through his beard. Remember that story, okay? So he's, she started with, he's king of kings, although he's not the Messiah in kingdom ruling Jerusalem yet, but he's our king. And then she pours it all over his body while it's kind of dripping out all the way down to his feet. Why would be the feet? In some measure, as she observed Jesus for almost three years, she saw him do nothing but serve others. And when you would wash the feet of someone, you'd be washing the feet like a servant would. And so you'd be looking at him as being a servant and poured it all over his body. There's some lessons in this. I don't know what lessons you might pick out of it, but I look at this one that the love for Jesus Christ was kind of an extravagant commitment. So let me ask you, when you worship the Lord from your motivation, is it coming out of something that cost you something dearly? Is it an extravagant commitment? Or do you give him your cheap pocket change? Do you give him a five-minute little worship thing? Do you kind of put on your Christian smile when you're around Christian people? If we looked at our checkbooks, does it see that... Our finances and resources has been gone, going to glorifying the Lord by reaching others for Christ. Loving the Lord by loving those whom he loved. Willing to die for those whom he's died for. So they could hear the message of salvation. That's an extravagant commitment. But you know what else it motivates us to do is to accomplish things we are never able to do before. Let me speak to you moms for a moment. I don't think there is a genuine mother in here who if their son or daughter at any age who wouldn't because of the love for that son or daughter would put herself in a greater harm's way than that child is to protect the life and safety of that child. If you agree with that, would you say amen? I'm thinking of the poor ladies here who's lost a son or daughter in war and all of them would say parents should die first, not kids. I wish I could have taken that bullet, that RPG. I wish I could have taken whatever it was that took my kid. In other words, you would be willing to accomplish something greater that's in you because of your love for your own kids. And you dads would do the same. But in the passage here, there's something else. When you have that kind of devotion, it's often the most misunderstood. If you were the one who was giving your money, you were serving the Lord in all these places and doing all you can, all out, all hot for God... If you really did that, think with me. Just just reason with me for a moment. If you really changed your life, me too, and we just totally sold out for God. I mean, we lived a separated life. In other words, we're not, quote, downing the world. What we are doing is saying we don't have time for the worldly junk. We are so much sold out for God. We don't have time for that. We don't have the money for that junk that's worthless. It's all out for God. If you really did that, really did that, do you think your extended family would probably talk behind your back? What kind of emails do you think you'd eventually get? What kind of intervention might come your way? What would happen with you on your job? What would happen with you in your neighborhood if your whole house changed? What would it be? All of a sudden, that sold-out commitment, devotion to God, motivated because you love Him, you would be so misunderstood when that happens. 
You're going to see that in the context. But I want to pause before I get to that to say this. I want to go back to those that like to s- devote by serving, those that like to devote by just sitting around with Jesus, and those that want to sacrifice it all. If you look at this event, it does say that it's supposed to be, and it is, not supposed to be, it, it is spoken of when the gospel is given so very often, everywhere that it goes. So it seems to be that there is a little bit more of an emphasis on what Mary did. But there is no rebuke for the serving and the fellowship. So since there is not, then let me just suggest this. You that are so given to work, 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 work for the Lord, I don't want you to stop doing that. That is your motivation. That is your spiritual motivation maybe, a service. It's your personality. So you like people and tasks and you want to get in there and get the job done. That's good. But make sure that you become balanced. Don't be only a Martha. Be a little bit of a Lazarus and slow down and commune with the Lord. And, and maybe just do a little bit more of giving up something. A lot of people spend all their time in Bible study, but they won't give. They won't buy things. They won't sacrifice in other areas. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.